Good morning, family. I send greetings and I send my love from our home to your home. And uh, thank you for allowing us to come into your home today to share the word of the Lord with you. And uh, I would like to just uh, make reference to the outline that we have available on our website. That's www.victory.net.nz. And it is also available uh, on the YouTube uh, page uh, where you perhaps you're watching right now. So if you want to download the outline for yourself or do that later, it's entirely up to you. Personally, I always like to see written notes of what is being um, taught and what is being ministered. Uh, but you suit yourself. Whatever works good for you, uh, that's what you do. So I would like to pray right now. We're going to launch out and spend some time in the Word of God together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again for this great day today. And Lord, we declare that this is the day that the Lord has made and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. And Lord, we look to you at this time that you speak to us through the teaching and the preaching of the word. Lord, that you give us special insight and revelation at this crucial time that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, the title of this series of messages is Walking in God's Protection in Troubled Times. Uh, and this is part three today. Um, and the last Sunday, we've been speaking about how to remain unshaken in times of shaking. And certainly one thing is sure that this whole COVID-19 situation has certainly caused considerable shaking around the world, considerable chitters, if you like. And uh, somehow uh, the news channels seem to spend uh, nothing but time on reporting on negative virus stories. And uh, we might get a mention here or there of how many people have survived, but they tend to focus on however many people have died. And so somehow I'd encourage you to limit your watching time of conventional news because it tends to focus on the negative. And that's why we're looking into God's Word today, because we have good news in the Word of God. You know, friends, the reality is that we live in times that demand supernatural solutions. We live in times where you and I, as God's people, we need supernatural discernment from God. And uh, this is a time where we draw near to God and we ask God for wisdom. We ask God for knowledge and for understanding and for great discernment that we know uh, what to do in these crucial times. And uh, you know, there's so many voices out there today uh, and we need to know which voice that we can listen to with confidence and which voice to just ignore because there's a lot of people that are trying to get our attention. So just as a way of, uh, of a preamble, if you like, I just want to turn to Proverbs chapter 2, uh, verse 6 uh, onwards. It says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk uprightly. Uh, he guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his sinners. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged when I read these things that God wants to give me wisdom, he wants to give me knowledge, and he wants to give me understanding. And it says that he's a shield to those who walk uprightly. And that's speaking of us, of God's people, the believers, the Christians. And it says that he preserves the way of his saints. And my friend, let me encourage you, if you're born again today, you're a saint of God. And that's exactly what that means. And also Proverbs chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Cry out for, un for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. 
So God tells us here that we should cry out to him for discernment. And my, my, don't we need discernment in these crucial times right now when every voice is trying to get our attention and certain voices are worthy to listen to. But above it all, we want to hear God's voice in the middle of all the turmoil. So, friend, what I would like to do today is part of this live stream. I would like to focus on the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, really, in these days, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that God does not change. And we've got a lot of changes going on around us. And uh, it is good to be able to focus on somebody who does not change. God says, I am the Lord. I do not change. And so speaking about the person of Jesus Christ, of course, he is, as we know, he's the son of God. But Jesus is not only the son of God, but he's actually God. And uh, he carries multiple names and multiple titles, each of which reveal yet another facet of uh, his personality, another facet of his function, of his life, as well as of his ministry. You know, he's called Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, and we have the scripture there uh, in the outline, if you got that in front of you, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Then Jesus is also the author, and he's the perfecter of our faith. Jesus started this whole deal of our faith in him, and he will also see to it that it'll be finished, and uh, that he is uh, bringing us to uh, our faith to a place of perfection. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Then uh, the Bible tells us also in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, in fact, Jesus speaking, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. And then he says, I am the Almighty. Jesus referred to himself as the Lord God Almighty. So he's not only the Son of God, but he's also God. That's why we worship him. Um, and then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 refers to him. He says, his name shall be called Wonderful the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And uh, these are all absolute names and titles of Jesus Christ. And he calls him the Mighty God in this place. I mean, how awesome is that? But you know, friends, most importantly, he's our personal Lord and Savior. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but our sins are not truly forgiven until we call on his name and ask him to come into our lives to be our personal Lord and Savior. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, but there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So really that makes Jesus Christ exclusively the Savior uh, of the world. Uh, there is no other Savior. There is no other name under heaven, the Bible says, that God has given except the name of Jesus Christ. John 14, verse 6, Jesus speaking. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And friends, the purpose of us looking at the person of Jesus Christ today is because he's unchangeable. As I say, we've got a lot of turmoil going on in the world today, a lot of changes that are thrust upon us, and most of us uh, are in what we call self-isolation. Uh, some of you are still going out to work, and you're on the front line, uh, and you're providing an essential service. We want you to know that we are praying for you, that God's protection is over your life, whether you're in your home or whether you are out and about. But Jesus says, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a way. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. 
I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So what that means that anybody in the whole wide world that wants to get to heaven must go through Jesus Christ because he's also referred to himself as the door. He's the door to eternal life. He's the way to eternal life. He's the truth and uh, he's also our life. And you know, sometimes people say, well, what are you talking about when you're talking about, uh, you know, receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? And how do you do all of that? Uh, and you know, these are certainly times, friends, we want to make sure that we are thoroughly born again because Jesus says, he says, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And many of you that are watching this program right now, you're born again and you know it in your heart. But it's quite possible that people have tuned into this program and uh, perhaps you might have been to church before, perhaps you might even be religious, but Jesus didn't say that we get saved by going to church. He didn't say that we get saved by being religious. He says, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And that reference is in John's Gospel, chapter 3. Um, and, uh, you know, here in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that means whoever. This will work for anybody, for good people and for people that are not so good. <laughs> whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And my question to you today, my friend, is have you called on the name of the Lord? Because we're living in a time right now where one day that door of salvation will close. And when Jesus Christ returns to this earth, it's too late to get saved. We need to get saved now. We need to get saved in this period that we're in right now. So in Acts uh, chapter 3 verse 19, it records a conversation, or if you like, a preaching message where Peter the Apostle was preaching to the people on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was first put out um, uh, 2,000 years ago. Um, and they said to him, what do we need to do? And he says, he says to them, repent of your sins and turn to God that your sins may be wiped away. So we repent of our sins. We acknowledge that we've done wrong and that we've broken God's laws and we turn to God and he says, and your sins will be wiped away. And specifically, the mechanism and the prayer, if you like, uh, that causes that born again experience in our lives where our sins are in one moment taken away and we have been given a forgiveness of sins and a brand new spirit on the inside is listed here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And this is out of the Living Bible Translation. He says, If you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord, circle the word, your Lord. Uh, of course, that'll only work if you've got the printed notes in front of you. All right, so it says, If you tell others with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is your Lord and believe in your own heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for he is believing in his heart that a man becomes right with God and with his mouth he tells others of his faith, confirming his salvation. So we repent of our sins, we turn to God and we believe in our heart that God sent Jesus Christ to this earth. He lived a sinless life, he died on the cross and all our sins were laid on him. And when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is our Lord, 
That is the moment of the miracle where we are converted, where we become born again. God takes away the old and he gives us a brand new start in life. How wonderful and how awesome is that? And as I say, many of you, you can point back to that experience that you had wherever it took place, whether that was in a church somewhere or whether that's that was in the privacy of your own bedroom. You surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you are born again today. And as you're hearing this, all you can say is amen because you want to add your agreement to it. But others of you that are still on the way, you're still on the journey uh, towards God, it's time for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Don't leave it too late. Friend, you're not really promised tomorrow. I urge you, I encourage you, surrender your life to Jesus. So really anybody who repents of their sins turns to God and declares Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved from eternal damnation. You know, it's been said once, friend, that heaven sounds doubly attractive when we know what the alternative is. And the Bible tells us there are really only two places that people will spend eternity in. One is heaven and the other one is hell. And please, friend, don't go to hell. Make sure you surrender your life to Jesus so that you're given access to heaven because, again, he's the door. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6, we have a marvelous scripture here, verse 18 onwards. It says, this certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor to our souls, connecting us with God himself behind the sacred curtain of heaven where Christ has gone ahead to plead for us from his position as our high priest with the honor and rank of Melchizedek. So friends, the Bible speaks here about a hope of our eternal salvation. It says this certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor of our soul. And what it really does is once we are saved and once we know that we are saved, we have assurance of our salvation. Then that provides an anchor for our soul and it keeps us steady in turbulent times. Friends, there is like, you know, the picture here uh, speaking of a, of a ship that's anchored that even though there could be headwaters, there could be headwinds, anything could be going on. It's really a time when we need to know that we are saved. And you know, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And friend, you have an enemy of your soul, and his name is Satan, and he tries to blind the eyes of your understanding. But Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to open the eyes of your understanding and show you the truth on how you too can be saved and a part of God's family. So we're looking to Jesus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You know, the reason why we do that today, and I strongly felt to really focus on the person of Jesus Christ, who is unchangeable. He's always there for us. He does not change. He doesn't go away and then come back again. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I remember a story. This is probably near enough uh, 40 years ago when I went out on a fishing boat um, and I was in Milford Sound at the time and of course there was a lot of crayfishing boats uh, uh, in that particular place and some of these guys invited me and said, look, come out with us and we're going to lift some cray pots and we want to show you what we do. 
And somehow I, uh, I got into a bet with somebody that I was going to be okay all the way out and all the way in and that seasickness wasn't going to be a part of that journey at all. And, you know, we went out there, we started early, headed out Milford Sound, out into the open waters, and now we're talking West Coast. Uh, we're talking open seas, we're talking rough waters. I happened to pick a rough day and I was really good. I was absolutely fantastic until about 10 o'clock in the morning. And then everything started to turn and as I looked around I tried to find a fixed point that wasn't moving but everything was moving and I was standing on the deck and there were times when I could virtually touch the, the bottom of the deck with the side of my hand as the boat swung back and forth. And in the end I thought, oh gosh, I'll go down inside the boat and I'll find a stable point in there. But everything shifted, everything turned and then, you know, I don't want to tell you the details, but as I say, I lasted until quarter past ten in the morning. Then I ran, ran outside and, and you know what seasickness looks, looks like. It's not a pretty picture. And the, the, the point of the story is this. Friend, you and I, we're living in very turbulent waters right now, in very troubled time. We need a fixed point. And my friend, that fixed point is Jesus Christ. He's the rock that is higher than I. He does not shift. He does not move. He does not go away. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And if you're truly born again, Jesus Christ has taken up residence on the inside of you. And he says, I will never go away. I will always be with you. Whether you feel him or not, friend, if you're born again, Jesus lives with you and he gives you great stability. And as we've just read from the book of Hebrews, that once we know we are saved and we have this assurance of salvation, that provides a tremendous anchor to our soul and it holds us steady. And even in times of turmoil, we can smile and we can draw on the joy of the Lord because we know that our God is looking after us and he's watching over us. So we look to Jesus Christ as our healer. Isn't that very pertinent right now when they're talking about people getting sick and people are struggling with health issues and so forth? We look to Jesus as our healer. And here in John chapter 3, verse 14, uh, Jesus just finished speaking with uh, Nicodemus about the need to be born again. Because one day this Pharisee, this religious man who had religious clothing on and he had religious text uh, strapped to his head and this is what they did in those days uh, and they were very strict and he came to Jesus by night and he came by night because he didn't want his friends to see him going to Jesus and you know friend this is now not a time to be concerned what other people are thinking about you if you come to Jesus. Anyway, he came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, he says, he says, Rabbi, he says, Master, he says, we know that you're from God because no man can do these miracles that you do except he's from God. And you know, Jesus cut right through that, uh, through that introduction and he pointed to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. He says, you must be born again. Otherwise, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So here's a religious man with religious clothing who is a man that had wrapped himself in religion all the days of his life, so to speak, and Jesus still demanded that he must be born again, otherwise he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And of course Nicodemus replied, he says, Master, he says, how can a man be born again? How can a man be entering his mother's womb uh, again and be born a second time? And Jesus says, no. Nicodemus says, that which is flesh is flesh. You, you're talking in the natural, but he says, that which is born of the spirit. You see, Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth where we become born again in our spirit, in our, in our eternal path. You see, this body that we live in, that's our temporary 
uh, 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 abode on this earth, so to speak. This is our a temporary tent, but on the inside of us, we have an eternal spirit. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And then Jesus continues on talking, and this is what I'm trying to get to here in verse 14. He says, as Jesus, um, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Wow, what an amazing story here, how Jesus referred to an incident that took place in the Old Testament when the Israelites came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and they wandered through the wilderness. Um, and uh, in this particular instance here, uh, it tells us that they were out in the wilderness and they got a bit discouraged. And uh, they started to complain and they started to moan and they started to kind of speak against God and against the leaders and so forth. And snakes started to come into uh, the camp and started to bite the people. And very interesting that Jesus referred to this instant. He says, in the same way as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So we need to know what happened in the wilderness, otherwise we cannot fully grasp and fathom what Jesus is speaking about. So let me just pick up the story here in Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, 5, and 6. It says, The people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, uh, taking the road to the Red Sea to go down around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey, and they began to speak against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? They complained, there is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. And we hate this horrible manner. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes amongst the people, and many were bitten and many died. What an amazing, what an amazing situation here. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the people got discouraged. And when people get discouraged, they say things they shouldn't say. And so sometimes it's best not to say anything rather than to say the wrong thing. What did the people do? They spoke against God and they spoke against God's leaders. They leveled complaints vertically and they leveled complaints horizontally. And the Bible says that uh, as they complained, Bible says that God sent serpents or, or snakes into the camp and they started to bite the people. And sometimes people say, oh gosh, that's all a bit harsh. You know, people say the wrong thing and God sends snake into the camps. But friends, the reality is those snakes were all around them anyway. They were in snake territory. This is wilderness. This is desert where they hit these red, fiery type uh, snakes that were highly poisonous and one bite of this thing and people would die. But what's really happened is that because of their complaining, the protection of God that was over the whole camp of the people, that protection of God lifted and the snakes came into uh, the camp and started to bite the people. And um, what happened here is that they began to speak against God and they began to speak against people. It's interesting, but first, Corinthians chapter 10, and we haven't got time to go there now, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10 speaks of five sins that kept the people from entering into the promised land. In the end, all of that generation died in the wilderness. They never made it into the promised land. You know, the Bible says they lusted after evil things. The Bible says that they got into idol worship. The Bible also says that they got into sexual immorality. And then the Bible says that they tempted Christ. And then it also says that they complained. 
and their complaints is one of those five major sins that kept them out of the promised land. And the Bible says that these things are written for our example and for our learning so that we don't commit those same five sins that will keep us out of God's blessing and out of God's kingdom or keep us out of where God wants us to be. So my friend, if you have at any stage complained against God or against one of God's appointed leaders, repent, ask God to forgive you. Um, and uh, you know, the reality is that the snakes came in uh, and started to bite the people. And a snake is really, in terms of an image, the very epitome of evil. You know, the Bible tells us that Satan, in the form of a snake, worked his way into the Garden of Eden. And some people got the devil in their lives. He slithered into their lives because of their constant complaining, their constant moaning, and their constant griping. It's one of those five sins that opens the door to the devil. God's protection lifts and it opens the door to the enemy. So my friend, be quick and recognize it as a sin and ask God to forgive you. And uh, that's exactly what the people did here. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 7 onwards, it says, The people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. And friend, there's a key here. When they said, we have sinned, they owned their mistake. They owned their sin. They owned up to it. They acknowledged it. They verbalized it. And they didn't do some wholesale, oh God, forgive me, I've done something wrong. They named what it was. And friend, when we repent, and if we do it properly, we name what we've done wrong. And we acknowledge that we have done something wrong. And they said, uh, pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at that bronze snake and be healed. And so it's an amazing story here how this bronze snake is in many respects or in all respects uh, is really uh, a type of Jesus Christ. Uh, the bronze snake was just an image uh, that Moses was to make, made out of bronze. It had kind of the look of that bronzy sort of, sort of a reddish, uh, uh, sort of goldy color, if you like, that those snakes had. And then God told Moses, he says, and put this image of, a, of that snake on a pole and lift it up in the whole camp. Now imagine here's a camp of two, three, possibly four, up to five million people. And they were all in the camp, all with their tents laid out, all laid out around the, the tabernacle of Moses, which was the meeting place where the presence of God dwelt. And the way that that whole shape of the camp was laid out was laid out in the shape of a cross. That camp could have covered what, what, for all we two, three square miles. And so Moses had a snake and he had a long pole and he had it lifted up high. So anybody anywhere in the camp, if they were bitten by a snake, rather than dying, they were able to look to that bronze serpent. And by simply looking at that bronze serpent, the Bible says they were healed and they lived. And that bronze snake, my friend, is a picture is a type, is a shadow of Jesus Christ who was to come some 1400 years later and was going to be lifted up on a pole called the cross and was going to be hung to that cross and uh, he would die for the sins of the people. 
And when Jesus says, in the same way as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so is his master, son of man, be lifted up. And what an amazing story. And friend, today, as we look to Jesus Christ, we look to him on the cross. Now, of course, he's no longer on the cross today. The Bible says that they took his dead body down and laid him in a tomb, and three days later he rose again from the dead. He appeared to his disciples over a period of some 40 days, and then he ascended up to heaven, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. But as, to, as we look to what Jesus did on the cross, we are saved today and we healed. And especially in those days where so many people are so scared and so worried about contracting this virus that everybody talks about, be it a real virus or be it whatever it may be, we can look to Jesus Christ as our healer and we can look to him for our eternal salvation. So what an amazing story that anybody today who repents of their sins and acknowledges that they've broken God's laws they can look to Jesus Christ with faith in their heart to receive eternal life for their, for their soul and they can receive healing for their own body. You know, the Bible, uh, it's an amazing story and it's always puzzled me uh, when I read this story and I see how Jesus Christ could identify himself with a serpent that was held up in the wilderness, a serpent, the very epitome of evil. But you know, friends, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 21, it, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Not only did God lay all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, all of our transgressions on Jesus Christ, and He carried our sin, but He became sin personified when He died on the cross. All the judgment was laid on Him that you and I could go free today, but it's not, not going to happen automatic. Jesus says, you must be born again. And of course, we've described earlier on, on what that means and how to do that. Just a little bit later on, towards the end of this message, I would like to lead us all in a prayer of salvation. If you're unsure as to what to pray, then you can follow in this prayer. And if you pray from your heart, I promise you on the authority of God's word that when we get to the end of this prayer, that conversion, that born again experience would have been taken care of, would be happening in your life in that very instant. So we have another example of Jesus and we're looking at Jesus today in turbulent times. The one who is the rock that is higher than I. The one who never shifts, who never moves, who never moves away. He's always stable. He's always there for us. Uh, and the third point uh, in this message here today, we look to Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. I made briefly reference to that last week uh, during our time of communion and something got stirred up in me. I thought, I need to go back to that passage of Scripture and find out exactly the full meaning of that so I can draw from God everything that He has for me in that picture. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been crucified or rather has been sacrificed for us. Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God and lambs in the mind of the Jewish people and in the mind of the Old Testament, lamb is not just for eating, but it's also for sacrificing. And the Bible says that Christ is our Passover lamb, so it's reference to a specific lamb. Um, and to get the understanding of what this means, we go to Exodus chapter 12, 
where God instructed the people of Israel that were in Egypt um, in slavery. And the very night before they were to leave and come out on this massive, what the Bible refers to as the Exodus, they had to slaughter a lamb. And that lamb was called the Passover lamb. They had to choose it four days earlier and, and look after it and examine it. And God says, make sure that this lamb does not have any defects. Uh, it must not be lame. It must not be blind. It must not have anything wrong with it. You know, when they examined Jesus Christ before they crucified him, they put him before several courts. They could find no wrong in him. And that's the picture there that is given to us. But let me pick up the story here in Exodus chapter 12, verse 6 onwards. It says, the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter the lamb or a young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. That same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter green salads and bread made without yeast. These are the, your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. So God instructed them to choose a lamb for themselves, and depending on the size of their household, uh, they chose a lamb, they looked after it for four days, and on the night before they were to leave in the morning, God told them exactly, he says, choose that lamb and slaughter it on the night. He says, uh, and apply some of the blood on the posts of your front door. In fact, Moses specifically said, take some of the blood of this lamb, dip a hyssop branch, which was some sort of common branch of some shrub or some tree, dip that in the blood and strike the doorposts of your front door uh, at the top and down on the sides. And, uh, and then he says, and then roast the lamb in fire. He says, don't boil it, roast it in fire. You know, the Bible says that Jesus actually has gone to hell for us on our behalf. And he was there for three days and for th three nights until he rose again. And you know, hell speaks to us of suffering in fire. That's why God says, roast it in fire. Don't just boil it in water. And uh, eat it with urgency while you're fully dressed. So God told them, put your shoes on. He says, put your, put your walking stick in your hand, be fully dressed and eat this meal with urgency. And of course, again, this Passover lamb here is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ himself, who is our Passover lamb, of whom we have partaken of. We have, we have as it were, taken him into our heart. We have eaten of Jesus Christ, as it were. And friend, the, the same urgency is true to us today. Have you got your shoes on? Are you ready? When Jesus Christ calls and the rapture of the church takes place, have you got your walking stick with you? Are you ready to go? Are you so entrenched in this world? And you haven't got time for the things of God. Now is the time to get very ready because we are in the very last of the last days and Jesus Christ is returning very, very soon. And then God instructed them. He says, stay in the houses. Do not go outside until the morning because he says this is the Lord's Passover judgment will pass over you and it will not touch you but you got to stay in the houses and you got to have blood 
on the doors. You know, sometimes people say, well, what we find all over this a bit challenging? You know, the Bible speaks about blood and it's all a bit like, it's all a bit gory. But let me tell you this, friend, uh, a religion without blood is a religion without power. And when we have a faith in Jesus Christ, we have faith in the blood that is shed for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins. So we can't explain the blood away and we don't want to. We want to make big off the blood. There's a few things that are very, very important. That is the name of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus Christ by which we are saved. And it is the second coming of Jesus for which we are preparing. And we are feeling now the urgency of the hour. And in Exodus 12 verse uh, 12 onwards, God says, On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and the firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods, for I am the Lord. So God refers to himself, I am the Lord. He says, I'm, I'm dealing out judgment against all the gods in Egypt. He says, they're all false gods. He says, I am the Lord. So God says that with jealousy. God does not want us to share uh, sort of our attention with him with some idol. God is very jealous and he wants our, our love for him to be in its totality rather than having a little bit of love for God and a little bit of love for other things. You know, idol worship was one of those other five sins. Friends, this is time to get rid of all the idols. This is time to stop the complaining. This is the time to get rid of all sexual immorality. This is time to live a clean life because as we read at the very beginning that God put a shield around those who are upright. You know, Jesus made us upright when we got born again, but we still got to live an upright life. And so he carries on here, verse 13 of Exodus 12, says, But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you're staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And again, what an amazing situation. That God said he was going to go through Israel on that night. In fact, he sent the angel. Uh, the Bible refers to him as the destroyer, as the angel of death. And this wasn't a demon. This was an angel of God and judgment was to come. You know, the very Egypt that had enslaved God's people for 430 years and extracted slave labor from them. And when God commanded Moses to tell Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, God says, let my people go, and Pharaoh refused, and he hardened his heart. You know, then ten plagues came and basically brought Egypt as a nation to its knees. And this is now the last judgment to fall. And that was the, the death of every firstborn male in every house, and actually the death of every firstborn male animal in every household and amongst all of their livestock. And God says, I'm going to go through Egypt on that night. And the angel of death, the destroyer, when he goes through the streets, and what an amazing feat, supernaturally, God went, sent that angel through there. And he says, and when he sees the blood on the doorposts, he will pass over. And that's why it's called the Passover lamb, because he says, when he sees the blood, he will pass over you and not come into your house to bring judgment. So, so our Christ is our Passover lamb that when God sees the blood of Jesus in our lives. He passes over and judgment will not fall on us, but it will definitely fall on others who do not have the blood of Jesus Christ in their lives. There's an amazing word picture here, friends. 
that uh, the people had to put the blood on the doorposts of their houses and that would have been on the street side. Presumably there would have been back door somewhere, but God says, no, put it on the front door. And friend, this is the time for us to have the blood of Jesus Christ firmly, as it were, applied to our front door, to our public life, where we are freely declaring that we are the Christians, we are the believers. This is now not a time for secret agents in God's kingdom or for what we sometimes call closet or wardrobe Christians that are quietly Christians, that are maybe times and places and spaces under regimes where conversion to Christ is uh, uh, an immediate death penalty. That's a different ball game. But for us in Western society, this is a time to come out. You know, they're talking about coming out for other people, to come out with what they believe. Now, this is a time for us to come out. Apply the blood of Jesus Christ to the front door of your house, uh, so to speak, so that everybody knows that you are a believer. And uh, what an amazing story that ultimately the only thing that kept the Israelites safe from judgment in their homes was the blood that was visibly applied to the doorposts of their houses. And friend, we are closing very shortly with this message, but let me stress this. The only thing that keeps people safe in these last days from judgment to come, and friend, make no mistake, judgment will come. But the only thing that keeps us safe and causes the, the judgment to pass over is the blood of Jesus Christ that we have faith in and that uh, caused the forgiveness of our sins when we got born again. You know, we can escape this judgment by repenting and by surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. Let me say it again, judgment will come. It will come. Uh, you know, God is a God of love, and we need to emphasize the love of God. Jesus says, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But one day, judgment will come. And here in Acts chapter uh, 17, and this is the last scripture that we're looking at uh, together here this morning. Acts 17, verse 30. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world by justice by the man whom he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this man is by raising him from the dead. And so again, friends, uh, uh, the Bible tells us here, that God commands people everywhere to repent. And it says that God has appointed a day when the world will be judged and it'll be judged by the man. And this man here is man capital M. It is reference to Jesus Christ, whom God has sent into the world um, and uh, then rose him from the dead after he died on the cross. The amazing thing is when Jesus came the first time, he says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. But when Jesus Christ returns, he will not come as savior. He will come as the judge of the world. And so there are two separate events, two separate purposes. And right now we're living in this period, what sometimes is referred to as the church age, the age of grace. God is gracious and he extends his love and he extends forgiveness of sins towards us and the only way to get saved is through Jesus Christ. So please friend, receive Jesus and receive him today. 
And if you're uncertain in regards to how to do that, I would like to lead us all in a word of prayer. And what I would like to do is I would like to pray this prayer phrase by phrase and give you an opportunity to pray this prayer out aloud, wherever you're watching this, if you're by yourself or you're together with your family. And this refers to children as well. Uh, this refers to adults. This refers to mature people. Everybody everywhere needs to repent. And uh, if you're praying this prayer with me out aloud, I promise you, if you haven't been born again before, you certainly will be by the time we get to this end. Remember uh, that Romans chapter 10 verse 9 and says that it is believing with our heart that we come to righteousness, but it is by confessing or declaring Jesus with our mouth that we are born again. So here we go. Pray this prayer after me and please pray it out aloud. And I've got Pastor Vanessa with me and she's also going to pray with us. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I repent of my sins and I humbly turn to you. Please forgive me and cleanse me. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ and I declare him as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for forgiving me now. Thank you for saving me now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friend, if you have made, prayed this prayer for the very first time today, I wonder if there's any way for you to let us know, to let me know if there's a way for you to, to contact us. And we would like to help you in your newfound faith. This is not the end of it. This is the beginning of your brand new life in Jesus Christ. And you can be certain of this very thing, that if you were to die tonight or tomorrow or whenever Jesus Christ returns, you are surely going to heaven. Um, but as I say, you need to grow in the things of God. You need to join a Bible-believing church. You need to have teaching from God's Word so you can be discipled, and we want to help you with that. So with that, I thank you once again for allowing us to come into your home and into your place to share the Word of God with you. It's been a real privilege and a real joy. God bless you, and we'll be back very shortly for our live stream uh, to share communion together. Thank you.